This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I'm joined once again with Jim Sebastio. Hi, Jim. Uh, hello, Brian. We're going to jump right in here in just a minute. Before we do that, though, I just want to remind you to go to practicalshepherding.com. You can re- access all of our resources there. As, as well as you can give uh, financially to the donate page, you can reach out to us through the contact page. Uh, all kinds of resources and, and ways you can contact us. Also, we have a women's ministry, and pastors' wives, women in ministry, can actually reach out to the women's ministry page. It's it's separate of ours, but it's on the webpage, and it shows you the services that we offer, from mentoring to counseling for women in particular who are, who are in ministry, slugging it away with everybody else. And so uh, make sure you take advantage of that. Uh, share that with your wife. Share that with the, the women who are serving in your ministry, in your church, to reach out, and we'd love to be able to help in any way that we can. We are in process of trying to respond to the, the several questions sent in to us through social media when we asked for it on topics that they wanted us to tackle. And here's one, Jim. How, do, how does a pastor know if somebody's can truly converted? So in our circles, we would advocate for a regenerate church membership that, that mm-hmm. members of the church actually know Jesus and follow him. That sounds basic, but important. And we would advocate for that. And so a pastor, so obviously when if a pastor is sharing the gospel with an unbeliever and they appear to be converted, this is a lot of times how that question gets asked. Like, how do I know if they're truly converted? Well, they're professing Christ, and you watch their life at, at that point. But, I mean, at that point, they go from not confessing Christ to confessing Christ. That is pretty good evidence that, that something has potentially happened, and you'd want to watch for that. There's, But there's a lot of other situations that pastors face that have to ask this question of, how do I know if this person knows Jesus? Uh, there's when every time a pastor does a membership interview uh, to find out whether they truly know Jesus before they allow them to become a member of the church is part of that process. Uh, somebody who comes to you and says, "Will you marry us?" and they're not members, how do you determine whether they're Christians or not? So we have scenarios as pastors plenty that we're always asking this question: When is it? How do you know if a child a child's can, been converted at some point? I mean, there's all kinds of things put mm-hmm. out there. So, Jim, this is what we want to talk about. Some, we, there's so many scenarios that were mentioned even in the questions that were asked, and we'll, we'll try to tackle some of these in general. Biblically, though, let's create a foundation for this conversation around what, what does New Testament tell us as we even try to... Uh, not We're not God, but and yet we are given instruction on maybe how to judge the spiritual fruit of people's lives. Yeah, I, I, that's a good balanced statement there, Brian, because I, I think that what we, we need to understand is that there are, there are basic components that make up what we would call a credible profession of faith. And that in that there are what I call root issues and there are fruit issues. And we are looking at what God has done both for a person, and that's that's a gospel issue. That is, do they have an understanding of the gospel? Uh, is there a the simple? Is there a a hope and a trust in Christ? Uh, is is the person's testimony? Does it make much of the person and the work of Christ? Does it include the cross? Does it inc- include who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do? Or is it Oh, I was, you know, I didn't really care about things, and now I'm kind of more religious, and I decided to get to be more spiritual, so I started going to church. Well, good, but there, there's no distinctly Christian testimony. Mm. 
But we also need to understand, Brian, that when God does a work, has done a work for us, or when he has revealed his work for us, he also does a work in us. Yeah. And so the Bible teaches categorically, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, Jeremiah brings out the work of the new covenant and, and in which he says, they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. He's going to write his law upon their heart and upon their mind. Uh, Ezekiel says it in the new covenant. He puts his fear in their heart so that they won't depart uh, from him. Uh, there are these matters as you work through an epistle like First John. First John gives three primary uh, matters in regard to somebody uh, uh, test. So there's a doctrinal test. They, they confess the right Christ. There is an affections test in regard. Do you really love the brethren? And there's a test of morality. Do you keep the, do you keep the commandments? And in each of these things, John's very categorical. If you deny this then you're a liar, the truth isn't in you. Uh, and so there, there are those big issues. There are other times when it may not be quite as easy to look at, particularly if somebody is in um, a a place where they need to be exhorted or where they're sinning in a certain way, and almost everybody we're dealing with is going to have some matter of inconsistency uh, in their life. Sometimes it's a gross matter of inconsistency. It's an alarming matter of inconsistency. They're lying or, or there's some immorality that's going on. And you bring into, and you ask the question, you're dealing with them. It's a discipline case, perhaps. And Paul told, you know, the Thessalonians, in some cases, you deal with somebody and you don't treat them like an unbeliever, you exhort them as a brother. Well, how do you know? Is is this a 1 Corinthians 5 situation where you put them out of the church? Or is this you exhort them as a brother? And so to some degree, again, you're trying to find these, these root and fruit issues. I think those are the two major things you need to try to look at. Yeah, that's helpful. And I, I'm thinking of something I, I say often in regard to revitalization work when a pastor goes into a dying church and a, and a really unhealthy church. Sometimes it's very hard to distinguish between wounded sheep and wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm. And I think that that matters in this conversation in that it's very hard sometimes to the to a human who's not God and can't see the heart to make a, a judgment on these things. So I think that's the first thing we want to be able to highlight is that we are, you to your point, we're told to look for certain things in people's lives and, and can make conclusions from that. But we also need to be careful on how ironclad we make those those conclusions just because we we can't see the heart, we can't know for sure. So there is a balance that comes comes with this. And and like I said, with the with wounded sheep and wolves in sheep's clothing, the reason a lot of times they look the same is because everybody, you know, both sides have understood Christianese. They've understood how to use the Christian language in the church and make it sound like they know they truly know what, what personally know Jesus in this right. way, or but but they just know the they just know the lingo and are able to fake it for lack of a better term. So. How does a pastor? I think this is kind of the nature, really, of the question. How how does a pastor discern, distinguish between somebody who's genuinely converted but maybe immature in their faith, and somebody who's not but grew up in the church, knows the lingo, knows the language, and is, you know, and maybe even just personally deceived too. They just they just think they. Right. They know Jesus, and they really don't. Right, because the Bible does teach that. In fact, there's, there's several exhortations given in the epistles to churches 
telling you not to be deceived. Don't be deceived. If you're doing this, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Right. So there is obviously the possibility of, of deception. And sometimes, sadly, a pastor can or a church can help with that deception because you, yep. you, you, right. you fail to identify what these are. So, I, I, Brian, again, let's talk about let's do a quick thing on, on root, root issues and then let's maybe a bit more on fruit issues. So the root issue is, is there a real understanding of the gospel? And, and again, by that, uh, I, I'm, I'm wanting to see or hear in a testimony I should maybe back up to say that what we do in our church, this, this is in regard to membership and baptism, is that a person writes a testimony, and, they, and that testimony consists of two things. It, it is their understanding of the gospel and their experience of the gospel. Okay. And so their, their understanding of the gospel is, can you articulate what the good news is? What is that good news of great joy for all the people? And what is what makes up the essence of saying that's saving faith? And, and Brian, you'd, you'd want to look to again that somebody is looking to the Son of God. Somebody has they have seen their sin, they have seen the Savior, they are trusting in Him. He is their hope. He's their righteousness. I don't know about you, but I mean, these are some of the things I ask in in the in the when I'm baptizing somebody. Mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I say, uh, is it your confession that you are a sinner? And is it your confession that you saw your sin in the sight of a holy God? And is it your confession that you found in Christ a full and a free righteousness that by his perfect life and his atoning death, that that's the whole ground? You know, there's a lot of, (coughs) excuse me, theology that goes into that. But what you're looking for is, is this person... Has this person embraced the personal work of Jesus Christ? Because ultimately, listen, you can have a guy who's a, a, a nice guy, a happy guy, a loving guy, a servant guy, and all of the rest. But, hey, without Christ, he's got nothing. Mm. You can also have somebody who has Christ, and he's a, and he's a mess in a lot of ways. We're going to see people, God willing, we're going to see not just people raised in our churches, but unconverted people coming in off the street somebody's going to come in they're going to have their first time when they a trans person or a a gay couple's going to come into your church and they and one of them or both of them are seeking and, and you're going to have a whole lot to unpack or pono- law, pornography issues immorality issues drunken issues uh, drug addictions uh, you know fentanyl and they and they're coming in and they're trying to get off of it and you say, all right, you know, but it has to start here. And so we're not just looking at, you know, well-scrubbed people that have, you know, but is there, uh, is there a hope in Christ? And if, if that's not clear, if, if, the, if, if with everything else, if it's just religious language or church language, well, I thought I should start coming to church. And, and even if it's generic God language. Without putting words in their mouth, I'm, I'm terrible at this because I often, I ask so many questions, I put words in people's mouths sometimes. Uh, but but is, is Christ the ground of their hope? Because ultimately that's what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who has put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll add one thing to that. I think uh, that what you s- summarize that to be is right. And it may really show up in a in a very basic, even brokenly verbal way, and I think that's the one thing that I learned early on is that I remember I'll never forget my first membership interview with this this 
older lady who lived in the neighborhood and ended up just wanting to come to the church. Man, I had my I had my notes, you know. Uh, I you know, Mark Dever had taught me how to do a membership interview. I was ready to go, you know. And I I'm 6 weeks into my ministry at Auburndale and I sit down with this woman and she has uses some of the craziest language and other things that that I wasn't, you know, it wasn't at all the typical theological language you would use. And I remember at some point, like halfway through, just literally throwing my notes over my shoulder <laughs> and, and realizing, okay, uh, this, she's not going to use the verbiage that I'm looking for. Right. So, so I, I want to bring this up because I've watched some pastors, you know, you, you go to seminary, you read theology, you, you want to hear certain words. Like I've had guys say, if I don't hear the word repent from their mouth, right. I don't think they're converted. And I'm like, okay, but that they may not know that's the word they need to use, but they're trying to describe it to exactly. you. So exactly. I want to emphasize, as you're trying to sort through this, and this goes into the category of the people, just kind of messy people who don't know how the language to use and all those kind of things, but have truly been converted. I think a pastor, if he's open to knowing that's going to be the case, that he can work through those kind of things. I think hope in Christ, you put it in a positive way, that they are hoping in Christ, not themselves. Right. And that I would add something to that. I think you almost have to listen for, is there something I do to, you know, to help my salvation or earn my salvation? Right. So, so the I remember a few different times talking to church members or family members of church members that the family's just completely convinced they're converted. And when I talked to them about spiritual things, you know, I, there was two instances of this. They responded with, you know, well, I, I you know, I, I know I've been a good person. And when I heard that, that's all like, this isn't about twisting language. Like that person did not understand. Yeah. I have to hope in Christ right. by faith uh, for, for salvation. And so I think I just want to encourage pastors kind of throw your language rule book out in a way when you're dealing with just all kinds of different people. Listen for what they're trying to say. One other thing I would add to that too is is uh, I would add the word affections to your to to what you had stated. I think it's some Edwards and others even talks about, but you know, almost listen, is there a genuine is there an affection? Is there a love for Christ in the midst of the conversation? I have found that helpful and that they may not be able to give the words. So often, many people don't know how to communicate, I love this person or I love right. this. But you see it in them that they do. And and I think that when the language isn't used in the way that you may be wanting to do, you can see the affection. And in a way, you're able to walk them through, do you mean this? You don't want to put words in their mouth like right. you mentioned. But I think we can walk people through to help them understand better what they're trying to talk about. I had a I had a chance the other day. I appreciate that uh, to talking to uh, talking to uh, I think she's seven years old, uh, old girl at the church, and she wanted to talk to me about what the Lord is doing in her life. And so you know, we actually we sat down and we chatted as as at her home, and we we went down to the basement, and chatted for a few minutes, and she said, uh, "I said, well, tell me what's going on. Tell me what you know." I've said I've heard you. You know, your mom and dad told me that you know you you're making some, uh, you know, hope that God has done a work in you. And she said, "Well." I like Jesus, <laughs> and uh, 
and that's I, a start. And, and, that's a and, start. Really, you know, and it was really was with affection. It wasn't I yeah. love the Lord Jesus. It yeah. was I like Jesus. Yeah. I, I I really like I him. Jesus. I, I like yeah. Jesus. That's that was good. that was one of the first things she started with. And yeah, I, I you know anyway there was a sweetness to that. Um, but that's what I mean. I think whether we're talking to a child or I, I baptized a man in our church. He had been attending for years, unconverted, and at some point through the years. Just through the preaching of the word, he's sitting in the service every Sunday. He's he's a uh, in his sixties, African American, uh, lived across the street in the apartments for years, and just came to church every week. Somewhere along the lines, we don't even know where. He doesn't even know where he he was converted, mm. and he couldn't read or write. Mm. So to ask him to write out his testimony for yeah. us, to be able to share it with us, to expect him to articulate, you know, what had happened. That was, I have to say, by that time, though, I was embracing this. I thought, you know, this is, this is exciting to see this guy, you know, confess faith in Christ. And so, but to sit down and write his testimony out for him as he's talking me through it mm-hmm. and trying to articulate it and find yeah. the words to do it uh, was a really sweet process. And me 10 years before that probably would have been frustrated by that. And so I, I want to put out there that we, we right. have to embrace the idea that God calls all kinds of different people in all kinds of different ways, and we've really got to look for the basic foundational pieces to do they understand exactly. what the gospel is, and and it just may not come out the way you're expecting it to. Right, right. So very good. So, so let's let's talk about some fruit issues real quick. Yeah, go ahead. What are some things that you know that bring forth fruits, meet for repentance? The scriptures tell us, and that that there are things that indicate a tree is known by its fruits. Uh, there are tests in the, in the scriptures. If, if, if you don't love the brethren, Bible says you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, are, is there evidence? Is there some evidence? As you look at a person's life, and, and really at times you know, you're, you're really looking. And, and I don't think it ought to be, I don't think a person ought not to allow themselves to be so unhealthy that you are spiritually speaking, putting a mirror up to their nose to see if there's any respiration, you know, you do seen an old movie maybe. Yep. And like, you know, you're, you're putting your ear down to their chest to see, you know, that living people ought to be known. They're living people. If somebody has been brought out of life to death, it ought to be, you know, sense it ought to be evident. If they're a new creation, if old things have passed away and new things have come, there ought to be, Certain things, surely, that are going to be different, particularly if this person has been saved out of the world. Yeah. And so I have several things. I don't know about you, Brian. I certainly am wanting to see in the life of a person. Go ahead and list some of them. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll list some of them. So, again, one of them is a love for God's people. Uh, do they, I mean, the, the greatest of these is love. So, I mean, love is fulfillment of the law. Love God, love your neighbors yourself. These are... These are the major things. Is there a sign of this warming of affections, not only to Christ, uh, but to Christ's people? Okay. Is there, are they patient, lowly-minded, uh, humble in, in receiving other people? Has, has their pride been dealt, hopefully a death blow, uh, and that they're, if somebody is hypercritical, judgmental, proud, I don't care how good their theology is. Mm-hmm. I'm questioning whether or not they're a Christian. Yeah, yeah, that's no, good. I would add to that. Uh, I would add to that uh, uh, a a love for the Word. Yep, absolutely. And, and I think, and I I say that cautiously because 
I know Christians that struggle all the time with having a love for the Word or wanting to read and and and, and take in God's Word and read read the Bible, want to hear preaching. Like I, I believe there's genuine Christians who struggle with that. That's a, that's a really interesting. I hear you, and I want to say I agree with you. And there's another part of me that says, how in the world can yeah, that be so? I hear you. You I, know, how can somebody really have a change of heart? And have so little regard for the the written, the written or the preached word. Uh, having said that, I would say somebody who has a love for the word, if it's evident, yeah. is a strong sign they genuinely are exactly. converted. Yes, I think so. I would just say I think there are some who struggle with that who still can be because people grow. Converted. I mean, I, right. we want to say people grow, right. and they, and they may not be. And what you're looking at in a baptismal meeting versus maybe what you're looking at in a Oh, maybe a pastoral visitation with somebody who's been in the church for 10 years and you see, and it just, it doesn't appear. So growth, I mean, you want to say that they're growing. I just showed Brian a a video of my grandbaby. Uh, Mm -hmm. That video looks very different than a video shot 10 months ago. Yep. And, but if, if eight years from now I show Brian and you, and you see that she looks exactly the same, sitting in a high chair with her diaper, um, you're going to think to yourself, oh my, something's seriously physically wrong sure. with this child. Right. And living things grow, you know, in a sense. You want to you make that, that argument and that there is, and, and this is, in the scriptures, it's rebuke worthy that, you know, by now you should have been, you know, you, you know enough, you've heard enough that there, there is an expectation and anticipation that as the word has been given, the word's been, you know, if somebody's been under the word for, so 10 years, that's f- at least 500 messages, uh, f- you know, five, maybe close to 500 hours of instruction or more that they've taken in, that that ought to have produced something in them. So if, if somebody is so stagnant, if there seems to be little to no sensitivity to their sin, that when the word is given, that best again you understand it so clearly mirrors them, a la James, uh, that, that they ought to see themselves and they don't see themselves. You know, th- those are things I find that are, that are troubling, whereas when somebody is taking in the word, responding to the word, praying in, uh, expressing their desire for change. Th- those are things that are very, very encouraging. I would, I would just add simply uh, that I see that they have a need for Christ, mm-hmm. which speaks to I'm, a, I'm aware I'm a sinner. I'm aware I right. can't save myself. So, right. like a a need, a neediness for Jesus is is a very tangible thing. I think you can see and hear in someone's so again somebody who's trying to articulate you know this it could be really broken and not clear and messy in one way but in another i think you potentially can hear in the midst of that that verbiage that i i I can't save myself Mm. and i i need jesus to save me or i need to deal with my sin and those kind of things i think of i think this is a helpful way to identify conversion in in children and that, that, that a tangible burden over their sin, hmm. you know, that they're aware they're, that there's just an awareness of sin. They're aware that oh, not just the sin, not, not just I, I don't do everything right. Like I, I, I do things that are bad that actually rebel against God right. and, and what, he has, what he has instructed us to do. Like that's a helpful way for children and adults to, to be able to, 
to identify, I think, genuine, you know, genuine conversion. So someone can try to articulate a love for Jesus, but uh, is there a is there a burden that that goes back to the need piece? Like we we have to see ourselves as a, a tangible sinner in need of a savior, and there's ways I think to be able to, to and, see yeah, that. and uh, and ever in need of that savior. Yeah. So it, that 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 remains. I made a statement the other day and just playing off an old hymn, you know, where, you know, this is my story. This is my song. And, you know, is our story, our song, you know, so our story is that I needed a savior, you know, and Christ came and was that savior, but that's not always as it were our song. It's not always what we, that what marks us Mm -hmm. and, and that, and I think among those that you, whatever else their struggles and whatever else, you know, cause I mean, I know guys, I mean, I, I know guys who struggle with their sin and are bad, but there's a difference between that of like, you know, I, I want to be what God wants me to be versus a cold hearted. I'm, I'm pursuing this. And I don't care. You know, mm-hmm. th- those are vast differences. So again, as one brother asked, when you're doing, when, uh, am I going to exhort this person? Is this going to be a discipline? And then in the discipline, is it that we're hopeful that this is going to be for their spiritual restoration? Because I believe this is really a brother, but they need this real sharp wake-up call. Mm -hmm. Or is this, we need to put them out of the church because this is just evidence they're not a believer. So my final thought on this is just that we, we are called to evaluate every our our lives and other people's lives there's tangible ways to see the roots and the fruits mm. of our lives and yet recognizing like we're we're ultimately not god and we have to find the balance between those two things of god calling us to hold each other accountable that we follow jesus and we live our lives in a way that reflects that because mm. it reflects the gospel and and yet realizing that that we're ultimately not able to judge the same way as God, and we have to and we have to find that balance. So, any final word on this for you, Jim? Yeah, I, I think the, the recognition that when what you you bring into the church, who you, who you bring into the church is it's not the final evaluation, you know, on a person, and that everybody that you bring in. You're going to need to continue to exhort along these things. We're going to work out our salvation with mm-hmm. fear and trembling. And that salvation is a process. And it is, I mean, there's a sense in which it is finished, it's done, and we're, you know, our hope is is secure. But it is also, he has saved us, he is saving us, he will save us. Mm-hmm. And, and to understand, take somebody where they, we're taking somebody where they are, if you take them in their infancy, it's going to look one thing taking them in their middle years. What you expect out of a, a middle year believer is very different than what you ought to expect out of a newborn. And don't put too much expectation on a newborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the other thing I would say is just ensure that you are regularly preaching the gospel because you may find, again, that churchman that you thought was okay, that seemed very religious and had a lot of good answers, that they're going to find that they never really embrace the Savior. So ensure that you are regularly giving the clear message of the gospel and regularly uh, opening up in in clear ways uh, what the gospel produces. And that will help you as you evaluate your congregation, help the congregation to examine themselves. So let me pray for these things. Lord, we're grateful that you save us and you regenerate our heart through the power of the Spirit at work that we don't do that, that you do. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity as pastors to be able to preach your word, 
to watch you be at work in the lives of our people. Lord, help us to embrace our limitations that you are God, we're not. And yet, we're also called to evaluate one another, evaluate our people, to make responsible decisions on who we make members and who we don't based on that. So Lord, give us wisdom, give us insight and discernment, and help us to to guard your flock well, and to help us to, to walk in light of the gospel and our lives reflect that in all we do, and for our people as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.